Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this final 407 edition, Lav and I recap an interesting week at the Memorial and give our survivor tips for golf's longest day. Welcome to the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Did you know that John Rahm almost never hits full shots, eight iron through lob wedge? He prefers to hit three quarter shots that fly low. So a higher spin ball is a necessity for control. That's what he got in Chrome Soft X for his golf ball. Are you aware of the setup? that 2014 U.S. Women's Open champion Michelle Wee West used last week at Olympic Club? Do you know why PGA champion Phil Mickelson uses a low lofted driver combined with a longer shaft? If you like equipment notes like these, you're gonna love Callaway's new World of Wonder website. Johnny Wonder takes you inside the tour truck in the bags of staffers on all world tours and inside the Eli Callaway Performance Center for all things equipment and fitting. What the pros are doing may just help you shoot your best score. Check out callawaygolf.com slash world of wonder today. Lav, you survived Monday, golf's longest day, final qualifying for the U.S. Open. You were in Jupiter. I was up in Ohio. It's lovely in Ohio, by the way. Give me your survival tip. What was the one thing that you did? I'm guessing you were there the better part of 12 or 13 hours that got you through the day. I uh, try about 15. Um, and my survival tip would be sunscreen. Because uh, I was at the Bears Club in Jupiter, and if you've never been there, have you have you played that golf course, Rex? I have not. Okay, so it's basically like cut out of a forest, and there is basically the fairway, and then sandy area, and then you're going to lose your golf ball, and so you're either completely unprotected by the sun in the fairway, or the the sun is just radiating off of this crystal clear white sand, and so it got very very hot and it was probably blowing 20 steadily i mean it was it was low 90s it was obviously typically uh early june humidity in south florida it was windy i mean this was this was not ideal conditions to have to play 36 holes in and so i saw guys lathering lathering up it was like they were preparing for war and they're putting on their war paint to try and be like camouflage in their bunkers. Like it was, it was seriously war painting. So I would say sunscreen, uh, especially in, in Southeast Florida. Have you ever been to, been to Springfield, Ohio? I have not. Do you know what the S in Springfield, Ohio means? The what? The S in Springfield, Ohio. Do you know what it means? No. Simple. It's a very, very simple place, Lab. There was nowhere to get dinner after, I don't know. I mean, we finished up at 10 o'clock, but there was nowhere to get dinner after seven o'clock. It's a very, very quiet little town. It's Mayberry. It's beautiful. It's idyllic. You know what they don't have in Springfield? Gas stations. Very good internet service. And when you're on a golf course, oh, or the better. Terrible, terrible service at the Bears Club. 15 hours and you have to stay on top of leaderboards. And I'm going to be honest here. And I think both of you, uh, both you and I 
are going to attest to the same thing, that even though we cover golf for a living and we like to think of ourselves as experts, when you get to one of these qualifiers, probably less you than me, you start looking down the leaderboard and you, you think to yourself, who, who, how is that guy in this field? I've never even heard of him. Do you want I mean, to try? Was, do you want to? You want? You want to try Sahith Thagala's pronunciation again? Sahith. I thought I thought I got that right. Did I not get that right on air? I got it wrong. I think, Is that I think you had like an eighty percent uh, success rate. He of course was uh, one of the qualifiers there. That was yeah, and it was a really good story by the way. Got off to a terrible start, but I I'm, I I go I say all this only to point out that it's a challenging day, and it's a day that both you and I enjoy. It's a day that our company cherishes, and the reason why. And I had this conversation with a colleague before I left Ohio last night. And the reason why is it's as authentic as golf can get. I, I would argue it's the most authentic thing our company does simply because there aren't big paychecks. There aren't stars. Now there was Ricky Fowler at one of them, but normally these aren't stars that are driving the boat. And every other week out of the year, you and I can attest to this, that we are a star driven entity, that we're going to look at the Tiger Woods and the Phil Mickelson's and the Rory's and the Dustin's and all of these top players. And we don't spend enough time on the other players because that's not what drives traffic. That's not what people want to see. It's understandable. I get it from a business model for one week out of the year. It, it's fun. It's authentic to be able to go and learn these other stories and tell them. And you did it very, very well. So I was trying to explain to my wife. Really? What, what final qualifying is for the U.S. Open? Did she and really I, want to know or are you just boring her? Well, she was like, what are you going to be doing for 36 hours? It was, it was basically explaining away my absence. And so I told her, like, I could qualify for the U.S. Open. Like, no. that is the beauty of this major championship. I could, in theory, qualify for the U.S. Open if I, if I get to the pre-qualifier, the local qualifier, and then, of course, the final qualifier in order to get to Torp Pines. Extraordinarily unlikely, never going to happen, especially since I apparently don't play golf anymore, as we're now two months uh, removed from my last round, but that is the essence, the essence of this golf tournament. It is the most democratic of the majors. I would argue it's the weakest field of the four majors because you're only having the top 60 in the world ranking, various other exemptions, but that's not what people want or have come to expect from the U.S. Open. They come to expect really difficult conditions and also these dreamer-type stories. It's, it's highly unlikely that any of these are going to come to fruition, right? I think Lucas Glover was the last U.S. Open champion who had to go through qualifying. Yeah, Correct. so we're now we're a, we're a dozen years removed from that. However, that's not to say you're not going to be able to to spotlight certain players, whether they're young up and comers like Cole Hammer, who just got into the field uh, on Wednesday, Akshay Batia, who got through at a playoff in South Carolina, Joe Highsmith, who I just covered at the NCAA Championship. He was kind of the hero for the Pepperdine team. He gets. Uh, one of the two spots uh, on the West Coast. And at the final qualifier that I was covering in Jupiter, Florida, uh, was a player who got through by the name of Thomas Aiken. And if you're a, if you're a hardy golf fan, you, you, you might know the name Thomas Aiken, mid-30s, South African, three-time winner on the European Tour. But when going over his record just to see what he'd done recently, he's barely played. I mean, you can count on, on almost one hand the number of tournaments that he's played in the past three years. And so while walking over to uh, the live shot to conduct our interview for our six-hour marathon, Golf Central, to wrap off Golf's Longest Day, I said, you know, where where have you been? You know, where did this, where did this come from? And he, he said, you know, I, I've had some issues with my wife. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. He goes, yeah, it's been a tough couple of years. I said, do you mind if I ask you about that? He said, you know, just, just, just tread carefully. I said, okay. 
And so, you know, I kind of asked generically about his last couple of years and, and he mentions the, the issues with his wife and, and, you know, kind of how it affected his desire to play. And so off camera, I said, do, do you, do you mind me asking what happened? He said, sure. 10 days after his wife delivered the couple's second child, his wife hemorrhaged in the doctor's office. If she was not in the doctor's office, she said she probably would have died. What came from that was a nine and a half hour medical procedure that required 11 blood transfusions. She currently has all sorts of blood disorders stemming from this. He said, you know, physically she's okay. Uh, mentally the or ordeal over the past two years has, has really affected her. That was in April, 2019. Then he's trying to get back uh, to playing on the European tour. Hurricane Dorian destroys the family's home in the Bahamas, which is then how he fled to Florida and wound up at the Bears Club, which, of course, is where this qualifier was. And then last year, of course, was the pandemic. And uh, COVID-19 affected the European tour schedule much more than it did on the PGA tour. He's played six times since spring 2019, and yet he was one of the players who, in a very strong field uh, in Jupiter, Florida, on a very difficult golf course at the Bears Club, was able to get through. Is Thomas Aiken going to win the U.S. Open? Probably not. Uh, but that's not that's not why we, we love this major championship, why we love golf's longest day, and why we love telling those stories, because it's not, hey, what are Brooks and Bryson and Rory and, and Phil all up to? Okay, you, you tend to yammer when you get on these stories. And, and very good storytelling there, by the way. And I, I knew you had one locked and loaded because I read your tweet. Oh, locked and loaded. Locked and loaded, which is good. Because I was going to ask you when I finally got back to my hotel Monday night, and I had to stay over because the, I was doing Springfield, but I had to step in for Todd Lewis on Tuesday because Columbus went to a playoff. So I was up in my hotel room late Monday night, and I was watching all the different reports coming in from the field. And it's really amazing when you think about all the moving parts of this 12 Herculean, Herculean, Herculean effort to put effort. that on television by, and I'm going to drop names. It was Matt Hegarty who did a, just a fantastic job of getting all these folks together. Um, I, there were so many people behind the scenes that do this, but I was amazed as I was listening to all the different interviews and I'm going to, I'm going to call it Burko won Monday. He completely won Monday. And, and I don't even know if I can say he won because of anything that he did, but he had the only qualifier that cried on camera. And I was so mad. I was throwing things That's at Burko's, my wall. That is Burko's mo. It doesn't matter so what's going on in your life. So he's mad. gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna draw it out of them. Oh, I don't I, know why. I was, I was livid. Like, and I had some good stories, and I enjoyed talking to the people that qualified at my site. And I thought that it was fun reporting, and it was a good day, and the whole nine yards. And then the next day at Columbus, but Burko got someone to cry on camera, and I'm thinking he wins. He wins the day. Burke, like, doesn't matter if it's the U.S. amateur, he gets the he gets the winner to cry. At the NCAA championship a couple weeks ago, he got Michael Beard, the head coach of Pepperdine, to cry. I was like, what are you even crying about? Like, you're he's he's talking about his father. Your father's still alive. He's right there. Why are you crying? And yet they just see Burko and and the waterworks start. So that he's that the, doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. He's the Oprah of the of the Golf Central reporters, isn't he? You get on the couch really with him, is. and that's it. You're gonna. It's very very good. I know. I, I jealousy. It's the height of jealousy, but it's. I'm very very proud to be on the same. Who team. is who is the who or who who were the main uh, qualifiers? Who maybe they don't have a great chance, uh, but who do you think could could maybe sniff sniff some contention at Torrey Pines? 
we just taped some segments that are going to run next week, some video segments on golfchannel.com. And, and you got one, and I think we were on the same page on this beforehand because I spent some time talking to him at Memorial before he headed down. His, Brendan Grace, I think he's got a very, very good chance. I mean, I, I like the way his game is. He plays Torrey Pines well. Um, you had a chance to get to know him. I think his confidence is as high as it's been in a very long time. How about, uh, how about your boy Sahif? I do. I don't know that I've seen anything out of him in PGA tour events yet. And it's, it, it, it's a fun, it was a fun story. Somebody give him a chance. He's a good player. Haskins award winner in 2020. Very good player. And he played well last week at Jack's place because he was a Nicholas award winner last year. He got an exemption and he made the most of it. I think tied for 37th. And I mean, I think he'll be comfortable going back to Torrey Pines. It, it's a, you know, it's a golf course that he's played a lot. It's a golf course that a lot of these younger players have played a lot, which I'm yeah, interested the in. Junior, I think the junior world's tournament was, was kind of big. Now I've never seen the golf course in this type of condition with four to five inch hack out rough, uh, but they can at least have their sight lines down now. And I will say this, this is nowhere near as good as your Aiken story because no one was in danger of dying. But the one that really fascinated me was I, when I had to go back to Columbus to, to pick up the final end of that qualifier. And one of the qualifiers from the playoff was Peter Melanti. Melanti. And I, I just talked to him real quick. He birdies the first playoff hole. And he's walking to his car First time he's ever, and this is a veteran. This is a, very much a journeyman. I was going to say, who is Peter Melanti? Um, you know, I mean, he, he's a journeyman. He's just a guy that's never qualified for a U.S. Open. He's a professional. He's a good professional. What what tour does he play on? Oh, the the PGA Tour. I'm mispronouncing his name as well. Is it Malnati? Yes, Malnati. Peter Malnati. That's it. <laughs> Peter Malnati. <laughs> He's Peter never Malnati, qualified. One of the nicest human beings, nicest on human beings Earth. in the world. And I just butchered his name, so that's on me. However, Peter I will say he had tried to qualify. He had been in, in in five previous playoffs to get into the U.S. Open, and he burns the first hole. I'm, you know, that's the end of the story. But he was telling me after the fact that he goes, "I, I never thought I was going to get to play in one. Like I just assumed I'd come close this many times, and I never thought." And you think, I mean, to your point about the great stories, you're right. It's not going to be the strongest of the major championship fields, but you're going to end up with all of these really good stories. Uh, Peter uh, Malanti. Malati, um, Malanti. Uh, his name is Rex Hoggard. It's a four zero seven seven six eight something or other. Uh, he lives in Longwood. Um, if you're if close you, on that, if you, if you would like to hunt him down, uh, Rex, you were also at the Memorial tournament. Would you, were you at plenty of drama to sort through, especially on Saturday night. How about this? I want to, I want to ask you this question. What was the story that you were planning to write as of 6 PM Eastern time Saturday? And what was the story that you ended up writing as of, let's say 6.05 PM Eastern time Saturday? Uh, well, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I had kind of mailed in a column early. And so there was already a column. You up. mailed in a column early. That's right. I had kind this, of mailed in a column. This is, early. this is my shocked face. Yes, I, I know that's what it looks like. Uh, however, in this particular instance, I kind of knew that, that Rom was going to have a commanding lead and that I was going to have to circle back around and do something bigger on him. I, and the interesting thing to me was, is as it all went down, and, and we can dissect this however you want, the, but there was two things that stood out to me. One, I'm, I'm still not 100% sure why that had to happen right out in the open and public. Like they could have waited for him to get behind closed doors and had this conversation. And it still would have been a shock. It still would have been something that that's going to reverberate through the tour for quite a while, but it wouldn't have been just this scene that, you know, we're going to keep showing that footage over and over again of, of him getting the news from the tour medical expert. And that's who that was, by the way, 
I was thrown by that. And I was also thrown by the idea. And I followed up the next day with a column about this. And, and, and I was on the wrong side of Twitter, which doesn't particularly bother me. But just as a way of an explanation, the, the medical expert, it was the only man around that green complex of hundreds of people wearing a mask. And I thought the irony here is, is that one man is wearing a mask and he's the man that's telling the guy that's leading that you're out of the tournament because you tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah, that's the tour's uh, medical advisor, Dr. Tom, Tom. Hospital, who was uh, instrumental um, in getting the PGA Tour back up and running at Colonial um, after, what, a three and a half month absence. I'm still curious of the timeline because they knew, I believe, at 4.30. And so the tour thought it was okay for, for Rom to, to mingle with his playing partners at that point and fans and whoever else might be in his vicinity, his caddy. But then all of a sudden you could not subject him to being close to them, even, even with a mask on in the scoring area. That's is like, what was their explanation for why they had to confront him on the 18th green, as opposed to, Hey, let's interrupt his round and, and force him out. So the timeline to catch everyone up and just to fill in all the blanks, John had gotten caught up in contact tracing, which means if you're not vaccinated, which John is not, I mean, he didn't say it, but it's obvious because of the way the, the tour protocols work, he was not vaccinated. Because of that, he had to be tested every day because he was in these protocols as a possible high risk because he had been in co close contact. The test between the second round, which was delayed, and the third round came about mid-morning on Saturday. The first result of that came back at 4.05, as you just pointed out correctly. The protocol at that point is to retest the same sample to make sure it's not a false positive. And that's what they did. That came back at 6.02, which was very, very close to about the time he finished his round. I think he was on the final hole when they got the last of the information to answer that. So the timing of it was he was just finishing up his round when they, when they okay, your sausage finger didn't do I understand you have something to say. However, in this particular case, the one part that I think everyone's going to have a question about is why why just take just pull him to the side. Don't do that out in public. That was unnecessary. No, that's not well. So yeah, I think the optics of that were terrible. No, the question that I received most from my friends who are just I would say casual golf observers is why couldn't he just play as a single on Sunday? Well, because the protocols have been in place since the beginning, and we're we're sneaking up tomorrow. Actually, it's going to be the one year anniversary. Oh no, two more days. It's a, it's going to be on Thursday. It's going to be the one year anniversary of the restart back at Colonial, and there have been cases of this where it happened. Brendan Grace being the most high, high profile before this one, and Reno last year, he was in second place through two rounds. Woke up Saturday morning, didn't feel great. Did what he should have done. Went to the tour doctors, and they tested him, and he came up positive, and had to withdraw. And so the protocols have always been to follow the CDC guidelines. But can't this, you can't you change the protocols? It's been a year. No, I don't think so, because these aren't tour protocols. And this is what my column was about. And, and again, I ended up on the wrong side of Twitter. And that's always a, a difficult place oh, to be. I, I saw you got you got ratioed. On I did. It, it, it was harsh. But and I kept coming back to the idea. And I didn't even notice it was my wife who noticed of all people. And she's like, she, she, re she texted me and she's like, you realize you're getting killed on Twitter. And I go, I know, I know, like, I'm not worried about <laughs> not, it. Not, not the first time. Certainly not won't the be the last. Go, it won't be the last just, time. Just carry on. Because my, my point in all of this is I wrote that based on the idea that we have hundreds of people around the green. And as I pointed out, only one person had on a mask. And, and that's all about and, and, and that one person was telling John Ron that he couldn't play anymore because he tested positive. And it's easy to look at that green and think to yourself, which you just did, you know, we're on the other side of this. Maybe we need to start changing the rules. 
And what I don't want to tell Twitter, because I don't like engaging on that platform, because I feel like all people want to do is scream. And the louder you scream, that's the person who feels like they're going to win is this has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with whatever your belief in science is. This has to do with reality. I'm not asking you to suspend your beliefs, but I'm asking you not to suspend reality. And the reality is the tour has to follow the CDC guidelines. And that's exactly what happened in this particular case. And that it's probably going to happen again before everything is said and done. To hear the players talk, it's they, they know that this is not going away anytime soon. We're, we're taking the mask off now. We're, we're, we're mingling in public. We're, we're allowed more and more fans out to, the, out to golf courses. And that's great, but that doesn't mean that we've won. There's still plenty of work to be done. And that was the point of my column. How do you think this is going to affect player perception? I, I know the PGA Tour came out and said just, just over half 50, of yeah. the PGA Tour membership um, has been vaccinated at this point. Do you think there's going to be a mad rush to get some shots in arms uh, after seeing what John Rahm went through? Or do you think it's these, are, these guys who are just setting their ways and they have zero intention of actually going through with the vaccination process? No, I, I would think so. And again, I pointed out in the column and it didn't seem to do any good that getting vaccinated, get, not getting vaccinated. I, I certainly understand arguments on both sides. That's entirely up to you. It's, a, it's your personal decision. I, I don't care if you want to get vaccinated or you don't. That has nothing to do with me. But in this particular case, when you see what it cost John Rahm, who obviously was not vaccinated and he paid the price for it. And that was a really, really steep price that he had to pay. So yes, I think more and more players start coming around to the idea that I'm just going to do this for no other reason than it's just makes your life easier because suddenly all of these protocols start to loosen up. You don't get caught up in contact tracing. And okay, so now I don't have to worry about testing every single week or every single day if I come into contact with someone. There are benefits to this that can't be ignored. Correct. So just to put a, a, a fine point on this, had John Rom been vaccinated, he would not have even fallen in to this contact contact tracing program because you're you're vaccinated. Nothing nothing bad can happen to you. So that's uh, where I would put a fine tooth point on that. I also want to circle back on this timeline now when it comes to John Rom. So obviously he had to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament on Saturday night. He would be uh, he would he would have fulfilled his quarantine requirements on Tuesday morning of us open week unless this week and we're not with john ron we, we do not know if 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 he is doing this uh unless he has two tests within a 24-hour period in which he tests negative correct correct so there is okay. a possibility and john ron might be doing this on his own anyway where he can still prepare and practice for the us open as normal and if he goes through that process and has the two negative tests can show up just like everyone else for us open week Sunday or Monday at Torrey Pines and prepare as normal. If not, the latest he would be there is Tuesday morning. Is that correct? All that's correct. And he's still, I mean, like I said, we just tape these things. And I think both of us are in the same mindset, regardless of everything that's happened, maybe because of everything that he's had to go through the last week. He's still one of our favorites. And simply because oh, he loves that place. He's won he's, there. He's absolutely, he's, absolutely, he's absolutely still one of the favorites. I think back to Augusta National just a couple of months ago, he came in hot to Augusta National, didn't even play a practice round. He played, ended up playing a nine-hole practice round on Wednesday morning uh, after the birth uh, of his first child over the weekend. Didn't really affect him all that much. Still finished in a tie for fifth. This is an elite player with an elite game. Uh, he still has a very capable caddy in Adam Hayes who can go scout the golf course and tell him exactly uh, where where he needs to hit it. Adam's really good caddy. He's, he's one of the best. That's Excellent that's caddy. 
Yeah, ac- no, absolutely not. excellent caddy. I'm glad you've come around on him. I think it's interesting that we have spoken, we've talked for the better part of 30 minutes, and we have not mentioned the story that, that in my mind, would have been the one thing that we, we could have sat and talked for hours about, which is Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau in this. Because I'm over know, it. I, it's I'm a beef, over it. the feud. I'm over it too. And but, but before we move on, and we're not going to move on because we'll talk about it next week when we get to Tory Pines, and it'll be an issue because they'll both be in the same field again. In the early stages of this, I think we could have all seen how this was just some an unfortunate incident that could have been avoided, and that plenty of people work together and don't like each other, Ryan. Plenty of people work together and don't like each other, Ryan. What are you and What are you hinting it, at? I think that's the beauty of this podcast. People can't tell. Like maybe they're friends, maybe they're <laughs> yeah, not. They sit, I've gotten multiple. Do you guys hate each other or do you love each other? I don't that's know. The, it de- that's the beauty it just, of it. it. It depends on the day. It comes and goes. IPAs are involved. But it escalated when Brooks did what he did after the fans were, you know, mocking Bryson all week long, really. And at every turn, they're calling him Brooksy and he's trying to play it off. And clearly it's bothering him and he's trying to say all the right things. And then Brooks does the video on Twitter essentially rewarding this kind of behavior and two things one it's flat out bullying like if one of my my sons did this i would sit down and have a long talk about that's not acceptable that's not acceptable behavior and that's not the way we treat other people and i'm not doing that to brooks but this is clearly bullying the other half of it is and this is amazing to me the tour has to step in and do something about this eventually no you would think so i mean Brooks Koepka is 31 years old. Like I can understand you've, you've got kids who have either graduated from high school or are still in high school. I mean, I could understand if you're 14, 15 years old, you don't know wrong and right. You don't understand bullying. You don't understand the psychological effects that that could have. I get it. You know, you're, you're, you're growing, you're learning. Brooks Koepka is 31 years old. Like grow up, dude. You're picking on the nerdy scientist kid who might be a little bit different. It might be a little bit socially awkward. And you, you know, he's, He's, he's nerdy. You don't understand all the things he's doing. Bryson DeChambeau, he made a, a, a lighthearted jab at Brooks's uh, six-pack, his, his physique a couple years ago with the body issue. That is not on the same plane as what Brooks is, is now lobbying, including the vitriol that he has deep in his heart towards Bryson. Those are, are not two comparable things. Would you agree with that? Oh, I'd absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and so... I mean, I don't know how the PJ Tour steps in and, I mean, you just tell them to knock it off? Like, Brooks and say, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm an independent contractor. I know I have PJ Tour regulations and you can find me for conduct unbecoming. Um, but you also just dangled this $40 million player impact program in which if I can drum up interest and have people talk about me and I can be a needle mover and people are talking about me on social, then I can be uh, fiscally rewarded. And so I'm not sure what the tour can can say to Brooks other than, Hey, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. If you stopped, uh, if you stopped mocking and, and getting your, your band of baboons to, to go shout at Bryson. No. And I, I think what this, what's going to happen here is he crossed the line and we can call it bullying, but there is a competitive element to this where whether or not if Bryson was going to play well last week or not, doesn't really matter. What matters is you suddenly have one player encouraging baboons i think is the word that you just called them band of baboons band of baboons to yell things while 
Bryson is playing. Now we all know that yelling in the middle of the backswing is that that's not cool. It happened a couple of times, but even if it's not in the middle of the backswing, there is still an element of this where you're kind of, I don't particularly understand like how he can get away with this. I mean, you don't even have this at the Ryder Cup. And that is very, very much, you're going to pick sides on that one, depending on wherever it's being played. And to, to, just to cut to the chase, the column that I had written Friday was about this specifically, because I'd gone out and I'd walked with Bryson and I, cause I wanted to see the fat fan reaction and it wasn't great. And my argument, and I've made this argument before was golf always wants to be a mainstream sport until it gets to the ugly underbelly of mainstream sports which is obnoxious fans, drunk fans, fans doing things that we're not used to them doing at golf tournaments. And that's where we're at right now. And if you Brooks, don't want to be Brooks a main- thinks he's, Brooks thinks he's growing the game. He, he defended it Wednesday at, in, at, the, uh, at, at Congaree, saying, saying he's just trying to grow the game. How is this growing and the game? And maybe oh. he is. I, I'm, and again, I'm not, I mean, I, I stake my flag on this one and it's bullying and it, it shouldn't be acceptable. However, in this particular case, either we want to be a mainstream sport or we don't. And in mainstream sports, fans are ugly. We've seen it in the NBA where it's gotten wildly out of hand. And in this particular case, fans were being escorted off Mirrorfield Village just for yelling Brooksy after he, after Bryson hit the golf ball. And my argument was, all right, it's uncomfortable. It's really not cool. But is that really an offense that gets you kicked off property? Yeah, that's that's a little bit of an overreaction. I and I can't tell. And there's been some some varying accounts of whether Bryson's asking for the fans removed, Bryson's agents asking for the fans removed. It's a little bit of a of a of a tricky situation there. I do know one thing, Rex. The more that you talk about something affecting you, the more that those fans are going to try and heckle you. And so something needs to be done. You would hope that at 31 years old and the guy who's being the bully here would get reprimanded and he would have to come out and say, Hey, I was wrong. I should not have tried to incite uh, this type of reaction against one of my fellow competitors. That's not cool. I'd rather let my clubs do the talking and beat him that way. I don't want to win because you just taunted Bryson on the 71st hole. He missed a putt and, and he was, he was kind of affected that way. Like, why would you want to win that way? You wouldn't. And, and you don't want that kind of behavior. I, I, and the argument I was just making is either we want to be a mainstream sport or we don't. Because mainstream don't. sports, it, it's, we don't. It, it's, it's not pretty. We, we've all seen what's happened in the NBA. We've all been to NFL games. We've been to baseball games. I'm, at, I'm actually surprised, Rex, now that, that gambling is, is taken off how it is, that we haven't had a situation where 72nd hole of a golf tournament, a fan who's got a lot of money riding on, say, someone's opponent, uh, doesn't try to alter the outcome. I've been actually somewhat impressed that it hasn't gotten to that point, but it wouldn't shock me at all if we get there in the next year or two. I could see it. All right, before we get out of here, I, I said at the top of the show, I'm going to clarify now. This is the last 407 episode. By that, I mean, we live in the 407 area code lab and I. Uh, speaking of that, We live in the 407 area code. Uh, Lab is no longer going to live in the 407 area code. He, he's relocating to parts up north. Where are you going, Lab? Why are you going? You're leaving me. You're uh, leaving us. Going to going to Ponte Vedra. So you're right. I'm taping this. And I, I know this is just a podcast and not a video podcast, but there is literally just a, a blank so sad. beige so wall sad. behind me. All of the um, various Georgia memorabilia and credentials and flags i normally have hanging uh ever so perfectly positioned for our 
for our live shots that we have. Wait, there's a trophy that's usually up there that I don't see. Yes, my sports Emmy. That's it. That's it. That's the one. It's actually funny, funny, funny story. (laughs) Um, So uh, we closed, we closed on the house on Tuesday and are officially going to be, you know, hitting the, hitting the road with the, with the movers on Saturday. And so I drove up, I have a Jeep, uh, not the kind of Jeep you have a, a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And so I packed the car with basically what, I thought was the most valuable things to me that I would not want movers to mishandle. So what I brought up were TVs, golf clubs, my grilling accessories, of course, since I couldn't, I couldn't fit, I couldn't fit all of my five grills in the car and my sports Emmy. But all those the accessories, the things, yes. Those are the things and that your I, sports Emmy. And my sport, those are the things that I packed in the car that I didn't absolutely could not take a risk that they would, that they would break. Uh, that, that's what I want to do this week. Like, like when, so when we send the link out, I want to send the link out. Was, what are the things you would pack into a grand Cherokee that are most valuable to you? <laughs> Sports Emmy, <laughs> golf clubs, grilling accessories, and TVs. Actually, I didn't, I didn't do that. Nothing about your wife week. or your son. Nothing about any, any fair family heirlooms. Nothing, nothing related to your family whatsoever. It's golf. I mean, the move, the, TV. The, the movers, the movers aren't, aren't responsible for my wife and child. I would actually, I would actually bring my cat. I'd actually bring my cat. I've got a, I got an orange cat crumbs and I've got a golden retriever Stella. The move, the movers can do what she want, what they want with the dog. She's a little bit of a psycho, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have minded the cat for, for going up there. I, but I didn't want to leave him alone for a couple of days while the, while the painters do your thing. I didn't get so Rex. I didn't get to do the podcast uh, last week. You did it with T Lou. Uh, I'm sure it was an incredibly boring episode, but I did want to circle back. How did the uh, graduation party barbecue go? Uh, it went very well. I, I, I think I, you and I went through this. I actually did pull pork. I did it the day before. And then there was a lot of, you and I had a lot of back and forth about it. You were not a fan of it at first, but then I think you but did then I But then I, I did a little more research since I actually haven't done this myself. No, no, it, it was very good. I don't remember much about the party. It was a very large party. I was told that at one point- You don't point remember was, much about the party. How many, how many no, LPAs? No, because that's I, hardly any at all. Because I was, I, I was on the grill all day long. That was the point. Because I did wings, I did burgers, I did pulled pork. Like I was feeding the world. And so I was kind of just constantly in, on the line. I was cooking all day long. But it was good. We, how, everyone how, did, good how, did the pulled, how did the pulled pork come out after all that research we, that we did? There was none left. And I, I got a lot of compliments. So I'm going to say it was good. I didn't eat any of it. Because as I said, I spent all day laboring over a grill. I feel like that's what happens with these parties. I, I certainly remember that happened with our wedding where we, we paid just an ungodly amount of money to, to feed the hundred people who showed up at the wedding. I didn't have any, I did not have any of the entree. If people say, Oh, the food was excellent. Wouldn't know. Yeah. Didn't have no, a bite. Same thing, for them. same thing for us. I think we had some cake that night when the party was over and we got back to the hotel room at two or three o'clock in the morning, but that was about it for us. All right. Your last from the 407 area code, but next week, both of us are at Tory Pines. Make sure you check us out. That'll do it for this edition. Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.